Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 190th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's going as pack foils for Halloween and of disrespect for the recently deceased. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin'. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. I don't know how your night's going, but I'm sitting here at my desk with a stack of uh, $6,000 worth of collector's boosters. I am ready to film one hell of an unboxing. <laughs> yeah, that, and that would, that would do a real whammy number on my eBay account. So it would be a, a strategic strike at a competitor where did we... If we sold on the same platform. I am uh, looking, I'm glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with everyone. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. What is on the agenda this week, my friend? This week, a show in four parts. Segment one, our top movers will take a quick peek at the cards that have moved the most in price this past week. Segment two, our cards to watch. Some cards James and I think have a positive outlook. Segment three, our metagame weekend review. Uh, modern or standards pretty much dead and is going to be deader for the next two weeks or so. So for now, we're going to talk about modern. And segment four, our topic of the week, uh, pack foils and what the future holds for them. Looking kind of bleak. Uh, so let's get started here. Segment one, our top movers, Necromo- Necropotence, Necromotence, uh, Necromote. Now that would be a card. Uh, Necropotence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, out of... I, Cre- creatures can't attack you, and you can you draw cards every time you otherwise take damage. Yeah, well, what's funny is the term Necromote sounds like it would have something to do with, like, zombies. It, I feel like you'd, you'd, it would have to be like whenever a creature attacks you put a 2-2 zombie in the play blocking that creature or something blocking that creature sure uh out of i am may uh non-foils this week 20 to almost 30 27 30 dollars mm-hmm. so not ima ice age oh i thought that was a a mistype when i saw i saw the ia i'm like oh that must be he must have missed the m ia copies 20 to 27 so you know something's up when ice age copies of a card are moving uh but (laughs) crick the guy who sounds like uh there's something wrong with your neck uh has been still been relatively popular he's all about black cards necropotence is a pretty black card as far as cards go so that is likely where that's coming from crick and anji or falconroth are more or less neck and neck as the two most popular commanders to come out of commander 2019 <laughs> um so it's helped helped people rediscover the beauties uh of mono black card draw spells and yeah the uh necropotence has only seen a couple of printings in its long lifespan so any amount of interest in the card will drain copies yeah it's uh 
has been printed quite a bit and there's a lot of Ice Age copies, but somehow this, yeah, I'm a little surprised this card is as expensive as it is just because it just feels like there's not enough of a demand for it, but it's good enough, I guess. 15,000 EDH decks. I mean, that's not nothing. Nope, not at all. Uh, next on the list, we've got Scion of Una. Uh, this is the Modern Masters version, but all the copies have been on the move. Non-foils going from 7 to 10. This is on the back of Blue Black Fairies showing up in 5-0 deck lists on uh, Magic Online. Not the kind of deck I expect to take a top 8 by storm anytime soon, but certainly yet another uh, fun deck you can show up at your local FNM with. And uh, the deck has got a lot of new components in the last little while um, that makes Fairies viable again. Not the least of which are a couple of uh, relevant Throne of Eldraine cards. Uh, let's see what kinds of stuff they're running in this deck. I think it's three copies of Scion of uh, Una, if I'm not mistaken, and it's usually alongside the usual suspects. So Fairy Seer is the card out of Modern Horizons we mentioned a couple weeks ago. Spellstutter Sprite, both four ofs. Two Brazen Borrower out of Eldraine. Two Vendillion Click, two Mistbind Click, two Jace the Mind Sculptor, three Fatal Push, three Inquisition, two Thoughtseize, three Drown on the Lock, another key, key piece for blue-black control. Two Cryptic Command, a Murderous Cut, and four Bitter Blossom. This is like, I forget what that Japanese player's name is who's been a Fairy's Master all these years, but he must be pretty stoked to be trying upgrades. Oh, it's not Saito. It's not Nakamura. <sighs> it's going to bug me that I can't think of it. Um, yeah, we kind of expected Fairies to get a real uh, jump start with Throne of Eldraine when we found out it was going to be in very involving Fairies. I picked up a couple of Fairies cards with a couple other people I know. Um and I think Rosewater was right. It wasn't a fairy set so much as a set with fairies. But clearly, even just one or two is enough to breathe a little life into the archetype. I will say I'm slightly surprised to hear Brazen Borrower is making it in modern fairies. That just doesn't seem like it's good enough. And there doesn't seem like a single part of that card is good enough. But Well, well if you extend the conversation we had with Daniel Fournier about the fairies in the set, his take was, you know, how many three-drop fairies are you going to run? You're going to play Vandalian Click before you play Borrower. Yet here's this here's this player saying, no, 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 no. I'm not I'm not, not only going to run both Vandalian Click and Borrower as a two of each. I'm going to run two Mistbind Click and go even further up the curve. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely playing a different game than Fairies has played in the past. Like he's not trying to just build a more efficient version of the Fairies deck that we've seen float in and around modern for a while now. This is this is more mid rangey than fairy. This is like old school fairies. Like Mistbind Click is an original fairies top eight card, but we haven't seen it in quite some time because four drops are not generally where you want to be in this format unless they're winning the game. Yeah, but it is still a really good card. Uh, I've always been surprised that Mistbind Click doesn't see more play, which speaks to how much of a tempo game that they really wanted to play. How how fast they were trying to play i guess um but i, I could definitely see a future where miskbind click becomes a relevant modern card just because it hasn't been lately i don't think that means it's out of the format entirely it just seems like the fairy support and the metagame has pushed the deck towards a, a different build that doesn't doesn't want as much as it could mm-hmm. next on the list we've got legions and foils out of core 2020 going from three to five which is not a huge jump really hard to make money on that jump but it's notable because core 2020 was the first set that had uh 50 more foils uh, a higher foil drop rate um in standard legal sets and 
here we have an example of a pretty strong sideboard card that it, you know some decks have gone so far as to main deck a copy against the field of the dead decks that are dominating standard right now but usually you're talking about two to three copies total spread between main and sideboard and that's enough demand to be pushing these foils up heading into this next uh mythic championship yep uh not a card that i'm really thrilled about standard in general um is looking like a format that I don't want anything to do with right now. For those of you who might have missed this, um, it was kind of a, a slightly under-the-radar announcement, but the, the Bannon Restricted List update was slated for, I think, like November 4th or something. It was it was a ways away, right? It was, it was a little ways away. And then it might have even been late November. And then Wizards just posted a Twitter announcement like, hey, by the way, uh, we're moving the ban and restricted list update up like three or four weeks. So now it's a week or two after the Mythic Championship instead of like six weeks later. And and they're like, oh, it's, you know, we were reviewing the competitive schedule and realized the timing was wrong. It's like, uh-huh, you realized Golos was going to ruin your standard format and you wanted to make sure that got out of there as fast as you could. And if you made it the day after the Pro Tour, it would have been too obvious. <laughs> so, well, because the, because the trap between two Pro Tours, this one that's coming up this weekend um, that people will be watching by the time they hear this is the standard tournament on Magic Arena. And the thing here is that people have already, they're doing the thing now where they register the decks in advance and they're published publicly, which has already taken place. And Golos decks don't look, it doesn't look like anybody's coming with any kind of interesting tech. The most of what we're seeing in these lists are already established decks. So there's the adventure decks. There are the green blue food decks that lean on Oko heavily and Gilded Goose. There are a couple of aggro decks, like a few people are bringing knights, a few people are bringing mono black, but mo like this is a forty or forty five percent field for Golos. Yeah, I would say like forty seven percent, right? <laughs> yeah, so so I think Field of the Dead is getting the axe, and that's leading up to the next big tournament, which is the Paper Mythic Championship, um, number six <clears throat> on November twenty nineteen, um, where I'm sure they want. Uh, standard to be in a much better position yeah so because that because that's not they're not rotating on over to modern or anything this that is another standard tournament mm, the, yeah and the point being here that anything going on in standard as far as we're concerned is just it, the format's kind of on a hold uh obviously legion's initiative is good legion's end is good when you're facing down an army full of zombies, but when Field of the Dead goes, is anyone going to care about this card anymore? I don't know. So there's ways to play to a standard format that's about to have one of its pillars banned, but it's not doing stuff like this. It's trying to figure out what the next pillar is. Um, now, if you, now, if you happen to be holding these <clears throat> copies, even if it's just you know from a few drafts you've done or whatever, you should probably send them in with your next buy list because at present, you can get 390 credit from Card Kingdom um, on Legion's End foils, and they're paying two twenty cash, two eighty six um, for non foils. Mm -hmm. So if you just happen to have randomly bid off a brick early at like a dollar, you're probably in fine position. Yeah, I mean, I would, I wouldn't be like, oh, the next time I do a buy list, I would just be like, yeah, put those in a buy list right now, because everyone whose job it is is to make money with Magic cards knows that Field of the Dead is going. Um, the guys who run those buy lists are aware of that. Following that is Shrine of Burning Rage. Uh, this is an, kind of a, it feels funny <laughs> to say this, but probably something of an oldie but a goodie. Uh, Shrine of Burning Rage is back from New Phyrexia. 
Uh, we're looking at the foils here, 15 or so up to 25. So a nice little pickup. Um, this is Shrine, a new Phyrexia is still the only set Shrine of Burning Rage is from. The card is quite potent. It's got a promo. Uh, yeah. Okay, my statement that it's the, yep. the only set it's from is true. <laughs> Foils did also come in a promo. Uh, it was the FNM promo, I think. Um, but it's still quite a quite a potent card. And if you don't manage to take care of it quickly, it becomes... Un, you essentially can't deal with it because it gets up to three, four, five, six counters and they can pay two mana and tap it to kill you or you know do a large portion of damage. And if you try and remove it, they just activate it in response. So it forces them to hold up two mana, but uh, their opponent essentially can't do anything unless they have split second or multiple effects. It's a not a ideal scenario for the player to be in, the, the non-burn player to be in. And I say this as someone who played against a lot of Shrine and Burning Rages in standard. Um, so, you know, if we ever get another reprint, it's going to crater this, I think. But in the meantime, that's a nice little bump. And I would probably be happy to get rid of my copies, uh, just because I don't see it really ever really breaking $30 anytime in the next five years. I will say, however, that the WPN, uh, Wizards Play Network promo, which is still hanging around in the eight to $10 range out there probably will hit 20 chasing the $30 pack foils and you're probably supposed to grab a few of those especially locally if they haven't repriced um the thing about this card is <clears throat> you want to get in and get out relatively quickly because i think it's really primed for a reprint like if you told me that there was a master set coming in december this would be a card that would be on my list of cards to watch that might get reprinted soonish yeah it doesn't strike me as a card that needs a reprint but at the same time, it's an uncommon, so it's not fighting with the slots that they most desperately need to put reprints into. Um, and it's a fine draft card. Uh, it kind of shores up a strategy there. You can play it in other decks. So, uh, yeah, it it's definitely feels like it could get reprinted anything, you know, in a lot of different sets. So I'd be happy to get out of the way of this while I could. Uh this next one, this next one I'm excited about, Savor the Moment. You guys heard me talk about this last week when LSV tweeted about it with Fires of Invention. But the non-foils jumped from 8 to 18 um, based on, again, the Fires of Invention hype. Foils are a good move, too. Uh, I got a couple of these. I, I bit them off as soon as I saw that tweet. So we'll see what happens. I don't, I haven't heard of, like, anything happening since then. But I am eager to see where this goes. They're selling very, very well <laughs> and making me a bunch of money. Are they? The, I was picking these up in like 20 Yeah, yeah. I was, and a bunch of other people in the Discord reported selling them at numbers in the 15 to $20 range non-foil. The, um, the market price on TCG is like, still under 9 bucks. Yeah, but TCG direct sellers are not subject to those constraints. Um. And I sold a playset close to 80 non-foil and sold a foil playset uh, close to 160. I was buying foils at 12 in the last year and non-foils two or three years ago at like $1.75. So this this card is a pretty big win for the people that have been holding it forever, waiting for a time walk to find a way to get broken. Yeah, I, I'm positive I wrote about this card at some point in the past, like years and years ago. I don't remember if I had any from back then or not. I might have sold them the last time this spiked up to like seven. I'm going to have to dig through. I know I grabbed a couple at the seven 
bucks or so recently. But yeah, fun, fun looking card, fun looking deck. We'll see where it goes. Well, and market might be saying eight seventy nine, but that's going to change shortly because the lowest price copy on there is at sixteen results is seventeen twenty one. Right. Um, <laughs> so it just means like keep in mind that market price is calculated on the last several sales. So it takes a while for the average to shift. You need to get the majority of those sales into the new pricing. So that could take days or a week, or as you suggested, the the hype could burn off, um, and this card could turn the corner. But it's a shadow more era card so it's got a pretty good chance of not being able to resupply into the market faster than demand will carry it well that's what made it so appealing and that's why i didn't hesitate to buy to grab copies because it's a shadow more rare right there like this card is effectively doesn't exist i mean there were more i bet you there are more okay i'm not gonna bet you but if you told me there were more japanese foil extended art great henges than there are English non-foil savor the moments, I'd be like, huh, that doesn't sound ludicrous to me on the surface. Um, I've I've never run the math on the likely number of booster boxes from that era, but I should. Yeah, because that was during one of Magic's nadirs. Magic wasn't as popular then. That that was the last time Magic was as, as not as popular. Oh, that's that's an ugly sentence. We magic hasn't been that unpopular since then, right? Like that's the most recent valley of magic popularity. Um, so there's just not a lot of it at all. One of the issues was that they published four sets that year. So the every set was in the market for a shorter period of time um, than would normally be the case. And that coupled with the fact that, that you were in a localized lull for the game as a whole has led to and and a lot of the cards never being reprinted mm-hmm. because they were hyper specific to the theming of that set. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting set. Interesting mm-hmm. block. Next on the list we've got Skirk Prospector. This is the original copy out of Onslaught. Keep in mind that Dominaria saw this card get reprinted. Um, foils went from eleven fifty to twenty six, twenty five, twenty six this week. And um, this is on the back of black red goblins in modern. There's also people fooling around with uh, Grum Gully uh, modern goblins builds, and both of them run Skirk Prospector as a four of. So it doesn't take a whole lot to drain onslaught foils, even if they're only commons. Um, I would imagine the Dominaria foils will take a significantly longer period of time to climb. Yeah, Skirk Prospector is a cool card. Definitely seems like it's set up to be involved in some sort of combo builds because it lets you generate a lot of mana pretty quickly um, in a deck that, you know, historically doesn't have access to those types of resources. Um, But I think that it it could do quite well for itself, especially like the pack foils could be pretty wildly expensive if a Goblin's build catches on that makes good use of them. Well, the build is there. The, it's been 5 0 for months in various forms, but it's, it seems pretty solidly tier 2. Yeah. Tier 1.5. And, and, and modern, as interesting as modern has been this year, it has frequently been dominated by some hyper efficient deck at the top. So, <clears throat> you know, Hogak for a long time. Now it looks like we're on to paradoxical Urza's era. And when they finally take a swipe at that, that deck and knock it down a peg, <clears throat> you know, something else will come to the forefront. So a lot of these more linear decks seem to be especially tribal decks seem to be taking a backseat and being at least a half step behind yeah it's been a while 
I feel like since we've had a a fair deck be well positioned, right? Like when was the last time well, Jund Jund coming back to the forefront during Hogak was the thing. Uh, did it come back? Yeah. Yeah, it was doing very well during Hogak. Because they could run the full complement of uh ley lines and be in very good position against what the field looked like at the time. Hmm. I don't remember it, it well enough to speak to that. Let me see. Let me see what the metagame is looking like right now in Magic Online for Modern. I would imagine Jund is definitely still in the in the game here. Yeah, it's six the sixth most played deck on Magic Online right now, and that's with it being the most expensive hmm. on Magic Online. It's sixteen hundred and seventy dollars to play it. It's a pittance. Uh, I I would guess that's the paper price. Yeah, online price is something like seven hundred and fifty. Still yeah. not insignificant. Largely on the back of four Liliana the Veil and three Renin Six. Yeah, yeah, that's been the crux of it. They've Tarmogoyf is either does it still it still plays a Tarmogoyf, right? Yes. Yeah. Tarmogoyf is back in business. Yeah, just enough of them that it's not as big of a deal anymore. Uh, Shrieking Drake out of Visions, uh, non foils, a dollar to three. So one of those those jumps that looks great on paper, but it's very hard to uh, monopolize on, you know, to, to make money on, especially given that you're selling EDH players. So you're probably only selling one copy or so at a time. Uh, it's been showing up in Chilane, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but oh well. Uh, this is the creature. It's a one mana one one, and when it comes into play, you have to bounce a creature you control to its owner's hand. So it allows you to do some some fun come into play shenanigans. Uh, but it was only in Visions and a Japanese magazine insert, apparently. Oh, wow. Yeah. but Yeah. It's in no. more than 50% of all Chulane decks run the card, and they should probably all be running it. Yeah. So I could see this card getting up to 3 4 $5 on buy list if Chulane stays hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it seems reasonable. Um, Chulane seems like the type of card that might outlast some of the other commanders as well might be more popular on a longer time scale than you know whomever a lead a lot Bylists are Lala. still only coughing up about a about a dollar on shrieking drake but that's still well worth picking out of your bulk mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah i, yeah, I go easily, find that. i could easily see that number doubling give it a little bit of time and i'm looking at these through this run of all drain commanders like corvold's pretty it's kind of nifty if not a little generic Sir Gwyn, you know, he's very, she's very, uh, I think, fleeting, given that she's, yeah, given that knight and equipment. Um, Alela might be popular, but I can see Chulane, you know, becoming over time the most popular Thronable Drain commander just because he does things that people really want to do. And he does it in good colors. Yeah. uh, Um, Okay, so next... Next on the list, we've got Deprive, Deprive Foils out of Rise of Eldrazi going from 11 to 35. This is on the back of Saltai Spells decks in Modern, running this alongside Mystic Sanctuary. Uh, Deprive is the two-mana counter spell that allows you that forces you to return a land to your hand when you cast it, which gives you another uh, chance to use your Sanctuary for nastiness. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a fun little card. Being able to use it with Mystic Sanctuary is pretty sick especially because you can use the mystic sanctuary to get back to prive 
<laughs> which is <laughs> that's 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 a that's a fun little combo right there. Mm-hmm. And so then we got Citadel of Pain out of Prophecy foils from nine to thirty. Uh, single printing foil drain is probably through a combination of EDH and just the fact that the card's never been reprinted. Uh, <laughs> we always have a couple of these every week that are in the same kind of boat. Um, not much else to say there. Uh, Spell shock out of Exodus. We're looking at a dollar to four dollars, so another one of those kind of tough spots for a card to be. Um, this just shocks you whenever you cast a spell. Believe believe it or not, a card named Spell Shock well, shocks you when you cast a spell. Uh, so well, everybody. Yeah, everybody. Whenever they cast a spell. Yes, yeah, yeah. Shocks um, whoever casts a spell. This is a good example of like one of these necropotency type cards because this is cards from Exodus. So anybody who started playing the last ten years probably doesn't know this exists. But this is a pretty. If you're in a like, say you're building Throwbrain or something, the new red commander that adds two to all the damage from red spells. If you're that kind of commander player, you're probably running spell shock, because it's exactly the kind of you're trying to speed up the game and shrink the life totals. So not don't let the the Kirik players use their life totals as a resource. Don't let the Aloro players build their life their uh, life total too high make for nice short games in fact a lot of commander groups could probably use <laughs> a player trying to lean on spell shock type effects yeah that is actually uh only in 1200 decks which i'm positive is wrong there's no way yeah. <laughs> that that card is only supposed to be in 1200 edh decks uh that is so good at punishing people who are trying to goof around when your deck is casting one to two spells a turn yeah, if they're, if they're doing the whole thing where they want to do like three, four, five, six things in a turn, this makes them think twice. And it has a lot of the same... You were talking about blind obedience not moving as fast as you wanted to on social this week. And this is a similar kind of card, right? Like, blind obedience is very similar to this. It's draining them and giving it to you. This is... You don't get the life benefit yourself, but it's doing... Instead, it's doing two to the person that casts. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a card that's going to hang out and needle your opponents, um, and it, it requires even less input than blind obedience does. So it's it's a tough card. I shouldn't say it's tough. It's not a card that you can just slam into every deck and be happy you have it because you you know you can do some some pretty good collateral damage to yourself. But it's going to keep the game moving, uh, and you're gonna in the decks where it's good, it's going to be great. So, but, you know, me wishing that cards were better in that good cards were played more in EDH still hasn't worked. And the pile <laughs> of like 200 Martin Stromgalls I have is a testament to that not working. Uh, you, you need command zone to pull the card into the spotlight and give it a give it a little spark. God, I wonder yeah. how much money I have to give Jimmy and josh to feature martin stromgald because if they get this card to 15 dollars oh he's so good i'd, for you, I'd buy a car <laughs> i'd buy a car with that <laughs> so this this next one was one of my worst specs of the summer and i can't believe i'm getting paid off on it this soon when we heard that there was probably giants in Throne of Eldraine. Wait, you're missing... While I was ordering wait, other you're stuff. you're missing uh, one, right? Line number five? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
sorry, into the story foils from Eldraine. We were talking about these on Discord as well. Um, foils going from a dollar to four dollars. This card is a lot better than it looks. Drawing four cards at instant speed is nothing to, to sneeze at, and it's relatively easy to pull off for the cheaper casting cost. Um, it's got modern and EDH potential. Probably sees some play in standard as well. So these foils, I mean, Eldraine foils, I'm not going to be going in on very much. But I did buy some of these real cheap at the $1 price in Europe um, when I was doing my pre-orders. However, cautionary tale, because I was doing Throne of Eldraine pre-orders as <coughs> very much a test of whether that would make any sense. Because normally I avoid standard pre-orders like the Plague, but they worked out really well for War of the Spark. And I wanted to see if that was still viable. And Core 2020 worked out pretty good as well on stuff like Feudal the Dead Foils. Um, but as I looked over the Throne of Eldraine stuff, a bit of a mixed bag. Um, most of the extended art stuff that I targeted has come down 10 or 15% from when I targeted it, which isn't a lot, but I'm usually trying to double up quickly. So uh, into the story foils at a dollar, probably going to do fine. I think that buy lists will get to two or three on those not too far down the road, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, that's a fun card. Um, I like the flexibility of it that um it it has a bit of a a dig through time vibe where it looks like it's going to be clunky to use and turn on but it turns out it's actually very easy to set up i mean one thought scour targeting your opponent gets you you know you're moving in the right direction there and they're putting cards into their own graveyard so uh and two mana for four cards at instant speed is nuts i can see the mill decks playing two copies of this um and it turns Turns out the people underestimated both this and Drown in the Lock, which is the other card that relies on graveyard uh, graveyards filling up quickly. Yeah, and there's a lot of tools to do that very fast in Modern. So anyway, back to the bad spec that's going to make me money. Sure. Um, Ancient Amphitheater is the giant equivalent of Secluded Glen, which has also made people money for, on the same basis, that we had heard that both fairies and giants were probably in Throne of Eldraine. And while I was buying some other stuff, I picked up, I think, about 12 foils around 350 US each out of Europe. Um, the usual European shenanigans, some of them showed up SP, uh, maybe a third of them. But Card Kingdom's already offering like 780 credit for these foils, which I will happily bite off in less than a two month hold. Yeah. I mean, for no giants really having shown up in Throne of Eldraine, the fact that, you know, there might be in Theros is a nice little nice little treat there for you. Yeah, I think it's like people are trying, are fooling around with giants. And again, Lorwyn era card foil. So mm-hmm. didn't, didn't take that much to push it over the edge. Um, I, I was pleased to see this and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Ancient Amphitheater was the one James talked about. I had Sunrise Sovereign and the other one, Giant Harbinger, I think. Uh, but in, in, just in wait fairness, for Theros. I, just wait for I, Theros. In, in fairness, I have small piles of those as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So that brings us to the end of segment one. Our top movers will move on here. Segment two, uh, where we talk about the cards that are going to be in segment one next week. Um, why don't you get <laughs> us started, James? When we do our job, right? The Alright, so my first pick this week is pretty pricey, all things considered. Um, but the 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 facts are the facts. Morphic pool foils are looking pretty tasty. 
They're it's the most popular card overall for EDH out of Battle Bond. Um, it is the most popular uh, land of the five that are in that set, and foils are sitting close to forty, like thirty-eight to forty dollars kind of thing. And given that almost ten thousand decks are already reported running this, this means that there are tens of thousands of people that are playing Morphic Pools. I don't see this being a priority reprint anytime soon. Much more likely to get the missing five Battle Bond style lands than we are to get the original ones the next time they get that ch- they have that chance. And we've got a pretty steep ramp setup where it's going from like 40 up to 50 and then 60 pretty quickly on TCG Player. And that's the kind of spot where the foil can pay off. You're not going to get the full $20 bill out of this. You're going to get somewhere between $5 and $15 depending on how you sell your cards. But if that takes less than six months, you're still in a real good position. Oh yeah, yeah. These are are pretty well are pretty well uh, positioned. I like that they are fairly popular in EDH. Um, I do think it's funny that you're talking about how it was more expensive than you normally go with because uh, you have had some. You didn't you pick Judge Foil Cradles at one point at like twelve hundred dollars or something. It's hardly a. <laughs> hardly a budget (laughs) budget pick well it's about roi right like if you can get a two dollar thing to get like save for the moment to go to 20 you're just astronomical roi thousands of percent per year if you're inside a year oh yeah yeah if if you're buying a 40 dollar card you really want it to hit a hard 60 so that you can get that 50 and you want it to happen in six months or less so actually you're closer to 100 minus fees which is fine can't always find your next you know quad um but i will be i am considering writing an article shortly about you know a 20 percent rule where you you throw away four out of the five things people recommend you spec on and limit yourself to just the very best of the best especially if you have a reasonably limited budget yeah um part sometimes when i'm specking on long shots i'm doing it just to see how it works it's part research, part spec, and if it something like Save for the Moment, where whatever reason I bought that in 2015 was wrong, probably Garrick Wildspeaker nonsense or something. You, the inherent power level of the card will likely be high enough to get it there some other day. You know, the no bad specs is long specs, and then you'll you, you know it turns out fine in the end. But especially if you're you know you're you're only going to spec a couple thousand a year or something then absolutely no harm given all the opportunities that abound, have abounded in 2019 for MTG Finance to just limit you, yourself to the really smart plays like flipping Mythic Edition really quickly or the Deluxe Collection or Collector Boosters or Russian MH1 or whatever. So this is a, this is a solid play, especially if you're playing with it. Zero reason to wait. Like if you're looking to acquire one of these, you know, wait for a 10% off coupon or something. But other than that, go forth and conquer. Yeah, I think that the limit yourself to the ones that you really like is sage advice, sort of regardless of your investment uh, purse. I mean, even I I don't buy all the cards we talk about. I buy, you know, some of them and I buy, you know, various quantities therein, but uh, you know, I, I just I don't chase everything all the time. Partly because I don't want to just empty the market of everything we talk about, and partly because you know they, I I have I'm pretty have pretty good faith at everything we discuss. But 
you can end up with a lot of money tied up in your specs for periods of time and you know real life comes knocking sometimes so you don't have to feel bad about leaving behind stuff that looks like it's probably pretty good but might not be the best choice for you uh you know i think that was one of the favorite my favorite things that i think it was chaz wrote about over on star city i think he was one that you know that mentioned it where it stuck with me he's like don't worry about missing this spec because there's always another one around the corner uh but, you know, regardless, none of that makes Morphic Pool a bad choice. It just makes it a different choice. Uh, and I do think that you're going to get paid if you buy these because um, those Battle Bond lands are not getting reprinted probably in foil in for a very long time. Because, like, as you said, they will probably go print the other half of them, rather go back on the same ones. <laughs> something, that, something that new Discord members ask very frequently in their first week of hanging around on the discord is should i sell x and the question is usually best answered with what is the why you are freeing up that capital to acquire because it's not about sometimes it's about you're just in a bad spec (laughs) you've chosen a bad card that's not going to go anywhere but a lot of the time it's more like well that card's probably good for 25 percent a year but of the 30 things people in the Discord have been talking about this week, you know, pick the best of those. Sell everything. The, sell the entire bottom 20% of your spec boxes, even if you're only getting pennies on the dollar, and put it into the good thing. Because if you got if 20% of your spec box is worth 1000 and it's going to get stalled out for the whole year, you're going to do so much better to get whatever, 40, 50, 60 cents on the dollar and then double up. Yeah, the, now... That comes with a caveat that all of that takes time and you don't always have that time. Like I definitely am guilty of not managing my, all of my specs as efficiently as I could, but I could spend every extra minute I have at home selling through older stuff that hasn't moved as fast or isn't, might not move as fast as new choices and trying to funnel into the new, the new options. You know, you, you make the best decisions that you can with the time that you have, but uh, it can turn into a real time investment and that's also costs money. So sometimes doing nothing and not moving on to the better decision or the better money use of your money is still a better choice because it has zero time requirements of you. And the return on trying to pivot to something with a better ROI could be the time involved might not make it worth it. True. Although I would be curious to see if you just grabbed a double handful of stuff off your desk worth whatever, $1,000, $2,000, threw it in there and then put it all on black as it were whether that would yield a fairly immediate result for you. Um, maybe. It's hard to say. I, I, I think a lot of the stuff that I... Yeah, well, whatever. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but that requires time and effort. That's, does it, that's like, what I keep it, coming it, back it, to. It, if you're really careful about it, it does take a lot of time and effort. But if you're just like flipping through quickly in front of Netflix one night going nope 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 yep yeah it's fine nope 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 and you're just putting a bunch of stuff aside that you just know is not gonna get there so for instance i pulled out like 40 copies of ancient stirrings the other day that i bought before it was reprinted and took a look at current buy list and current market thought it through and realized there's no way this card is ever going to beat everything else i'm doing so i'm going to take like a 60 percent loss on those but that's fine because 
them sitting there in, with me in denial about them isn't doing anything. And if I sell them for, you know, 40 cents on the dollar, then I can repurpose that and double it. And I- you can... And part of this is how well organized you are. Like people, people that just have a collection spread amongst many boxes and binders with no rhyme or reason are going to have a lot more trouble. People like me that are pretty well organized. Like my personal collection is kind of havoc, but that doesn't really matter because I don't need time to play with it anyway. Um, but my specs are very well organized, so it doesn't like it's alphabetical in by color, so it's not hard for me to go through. And it's all stickered with original pricing. So as I'm flipping through it, I know what I paid for stuff. And if I if I also know the relative demand play pattern for that card in about half an hour i could pull together a couple thousand dollar buy list pretty easily so mileage will certainly vary as you said based on your time um as well as based on you know how how easily you can organize well you've you've uh you have to consider, though, you, you know, say, oh, well, you know, you spend an hour or two in front of Netflix flipping through your cards. I don't know. I mean, you're the one with the kid. Maybe it's different when you have a baby and you're kind of stuck. But on the nights where we don't record, I don't spend any time doing anything like that. Like nights like I'm either if I'm if I'm home, essentially, like not at work, I'm either recording or editing this cast. I'm at the gym or I'm working on house projects basically until I go to bed. Like I don't really make time to go sit around and do that stuff for the most part. And then I set aside some time for socializing like Fridays and Saturdays, but like I have, that has to be what I do because if I didn't, I'd go nuts. Um, you know, I just, I, it, it, it really takes time away from everything else I'm doing to sit and try and manage all that stuff, which is why I've slowed down a little bit, especially after having moved into the, to the house this year, because it's just like, yeah, I really should go churn through that, but it's sunny out and I have a driveway gate I'm trying to build and I don't have that many minutes a week to spend on that. So I got to go spend it there while I can. Um, but maybe that'll change. Probably will change down yeah. the road. I mean, those 24-inch pythons aren't going to build themselves, Travis. you got to hit that gym. Listen, uh, I don't want anyone to get any excited about what they're going to see if I ever attend a GP again because I just play <laughs> racquetball. I'm not lifting weights, so I'm not getting not getting swole. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching, watching a very amusing uh, Dr. Disrespect versus some other YouTuber video where they were yelling at each other about their muscles, and it was pretty hilarious. Mm. Um the uh all right so morphic pool solid tell me about your first pick all right so uh i don't know if you guys caught it but this must have happened uh fairly recently edh rack moved their uh top cards sections to use recency data rather than historical data um and we were talking about this a little bit off cast which has its you know it's it's not a a total net it's not a total net win there you do lose some data and some information by ignoring full historical look back but at least in some ways it is very useful to be able to see what's popular recently rather than you know what's was popular for a for a, a lot a long time ago but hasn't been as much in the last couple of years so I was kind of poking through there again, um, while also poking through recent popular commanders, which I do all the time. And I found two cards that jumped out at me this week. Uh, and I like, 
frankly, I I'm not even I'm not even going to spec on the card. I'm going to make a bet with somebody that these cards don't show up in segment one next week. Like like I'd rather bet on that than <laughs> than buy the cards. Uh, the first card is Gray Merchant of Asphodel. Uh, foils out of Theros are currently nine bucks. I like those up to probably twenty dollars. They are in 17,000 EDH rec decks. They have no foil reprints. The only reprint is a Commander 2014, which of course was not foil. And there are, I think, as of the time of this recording, 12 copies. So 17,000 EDH rec lists shows up on recently built decks, uh, and there are 12 of them for a six-year-old foil common. And I'm not expecting a reprint on this in Theros, by the way. I think they're going to change... Nope. Oh, all this stuff works, especially with how much this screwed up standard the last time it was legal. This has already been reprinted in a commander deck uh, in Commander 2014. So it's already got one reprint. Um, And I think because Theros is a single uh, visit to Theros, they're only doing one set there. They're not going to be highly motivated to include a bunch of reprints. The set's not even that old that they need to do that for any particular reason. They can just borrow from all the, all the ideas they left on the cutting room floor next time, add some new stuff and punt this one out the door. Mm-hmm. I am pre- I, I, I was kind of surprised that it's in 17,000 decks, but the ticker tape doesn't lie. This is every single black commander going down to the top 12. So Carrick, Villas, Gonti, Chainer, Erebus, Kakusho, Ghoulcaller, Gisa, Balthor the Defiled, Gisa and Jarelf, uh, Micaeus the Unhallowed, Sheldrid, Whispering One, and Yagmoth Grand Physician, all all of those commanders, 75% of those decks run this card. Mm-hmm. It's just an auto-include. And and the reason for that is the each opponent clause. The thing that often puts EDH cards over the top is when they do something really good and standard, and this was a busted card in Monoblock Devotion at the time, that basically shut down, between this and Mono Blue with Vasa shut down people's interest in the form- format pretty handily. Um, it only gets better when there's more opponents, folks. So, yeah. Yeah, these these foils are going to take off. You, you don't have to have... Pick. If you have two other black pips when you cast Grey Merchant, you're probably draining uh, for a 12 life. 12. 12, like a 12-point swing. Which is, and that's basically one other black card. Like, how hard is it to have like probably six to nine black pips in front of you, uh, and then you somehow like return this to your hand, or like you sacrifice it and then reanimate it? Like, you can basically one shot your table in a turn. And even then, when you're not doing that, it's great value. So I'm, it's you know, it's a clunky common, but like, damn, if it doesn't get there. Yep, agreed. Uh, what else you got uh, for us? My next, my next pick isn't. Uh, another already pricey battle bond foil at least this time it's a mythic and not a rare bramble sovereign is pretty popular in edh in its own right and there are relatively few uh of these foils left on the interwebs Uh, i think we're talking about something like yeah 10 results on tcg player and it's kind of like 40 40 40 and then 50 then 70 and i think these going 40 to 60 pretty much similar to morphic pool this has an even higher chance of getting there because though it's played a little less than morphic pool it's a mythic rather than a rare so if you had to pick between the two i think bramble sovereign's your bet 
Um, I don't think you want to be sitting around waiting on coupons because the pro traders are going to probably bite off a big chunk of what's remaining. And you want to check your local store if you're hearing this information after the fact to see if they've got a copy sitting around, Um, especially if you want to play with them in 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 the case of all of these good battle bond cards that are going to take years to get reprinted mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i i like battle bramble sovereign battle bond ba- battle bond's a good set has a lot of fascinating cards that i w- would want to play more of uh if i was sitting at the table more often these days and i mean they look great from a from a numbers perspective, right? The supply is very shallow. The set's getting older. The cards are all unique and difficult to reprint. Um, so I like the the general alignment of the set. Overall, Battlebond does seem to be moving a little slower than I want it to. Uh, and it's certainly not the only set of cards that's been doing that. Um, you know, you've got Battlebond itself. I was complaining on Twitter this week that Blind Obedience is still sitting at like four dollars and it's like i picked this card like two years ago and even then it was like four bucks foil and there were nine copies and it has like eighteen thousand decks and here we are today two years later and all of those numbers are still true except it's in more decks it's like how how is this still four dollars um i don't know and that's kind of what made me interested in the got me excited about seeing the recency lists on EDA track because maybe blind obedience was really popular for a while and then died off and people aren't putting it in decks anymore. And that's why it's taking so long to move. I don't know. Um, well, it's, I, I don't think the, con- I don't think the situation is all that complicated. The, there is a, a constantly shifting hype cycle in magic that is only accelerated in recent years and cards that are talked about move. And cards that are off the radar move less. And cards like Blind Obedience that were, you know, didn't have a lot of other use cases outside of Commander are going to take a few years to get there, especially in non-foil. I guess I would just expect that EDH rack being what it is would generate more, uh, would essentially reduce variance within deck lists. Because if I sit down to build Kulane, I'm not going to pick 98 cards out of my head. I'm going to go to EDH Rack and go, oh, wow, this card's really popular. I've never heard of it before, but it's custom built for Kulane, like Shrieking Drake. Uh, and I, a card that I've never heard of, but a, the wisdom of the masses has recognized as a useful tool is going to get added to the deck, you know, and I'm going to add it to my deck. Um, and I think a lot of cards that people basically wouldn't be aware of make it into decks because of, you know, EDA truck sort of, you know, taking a good idea and then a couple people run with it and then suddenly everyone's playing with it. So you think like, oh, blind obedience, like a new commander comes out, a couple people recognize that as a good card to put in there. They put it in and then it starts showing up on the EDA, EDA truck page and everyone else showing up to that web site who doesn't know about blind obedience is going to go oh yeah that card's awesome in here and add it right and then it builds that momentum for the card now that has its own problems because it you know kind of suppresses individuality across deck lists but you would you know within the context of this conversation it seems like it would be good for the card um well but it it just doesn't seem to happen as much as you'd want it to much as i want it to i i think that we i think there's definitely tunnel vision that comes from using a site a lot yourself like people that use mtg price a lot rely on it but 
you could be somebody who only ever goes to MTG Goldfish or MTG Stocks, or you've been a quiet speculation member for five years, and you're just utterly out of touch with what those other sites have to offer. They're not part of your diet. The other thing is YouTube EDH influence is so much more powerful than anything on EDH Rec. Like if you take all the visits EDH Rec gets in a month and compare it to the YouTube hits on commander-related videos, no question in my mind it'll be a 5 to 1 or 10 to 1 ratio maybe even 20 or 31 in terms of total exposure. So you need, you definitely need that command zone influence. Now, the other thing on this card in particular that we're talking about, Blind Obedience, is that it got reprinted twice already. So it didn't have time to appreciate because it was in Gatecrash and then it got printed in Commander 2016 and then the Death Knell, another reprinting the next year in Commander 2017. But those were non-foils. I'm talking about foils. Sure. So okay, you would think okay. that you would think that those reprints would be good for me because they'd be making everyone think about the card without damaging my spec. Well, I mean, and you know, I thought we were talking about non-foils up to this point. So if we are talking about foils, then your your spec is getting there. Like the the ladder is super steep. We could have picked this card this week. But There's I, only 12 I, results <laughs> left on TCG player and the lowest is 5 and then it quickly gets to 10 and goes up to 13 or 14. But I guess my so point was that's what it looked it, like 2 years ago. No, there's, there's no way it was 12 results two years ago at the same price range. It was it was definitely, I mean, because I remember, I, I for whatever reason, that one stands out in my head because I, I remember picking it. And you were like, wow, this is a really good choice. This is in a ton of decks. The price is low and the supply is shallow. Now, I'm maybe not 12 decks, but it was a while ago. Sure, but I, I, I'm not... At this point, I'm not surprised when a pick takes a year or two longer, especially when you're if it's commander only, because if it's not the kind of card that they want in every deck, and especially in commander if it's a white or a red card, because there just are less of those decks built overall, um, then it's it's going to take a while. And in this case, like I think you're pretty much there. Like this is a legit pick this week. Like I said. And give this another six months. I, I, I would like to go back and snapshot whatever, whether it was 18 months ago or two years ago when you picked this card. I'm willing to bet there was 40 results. The latter was reasonable and that you picked it at like two or three or four dollars or something for the foils. Whereas the majority of these foils are now priced over eight dollars. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, we don't really have that. Data, even, mar- even, even, even market is at 638. So, I mean, I can we can go dig up what you call blind obedience at, but point point remains the it was a good pick at the time, even if it took a little longer to get there. The yeah. returns will be, you know, if you if you get if you get a hundred percent out of a three year hold, you're still doing much better than the average person holding, you know, their four hundred one ks or whatever. Oh well, sure. I mean, over it's still a solid pick, like you know, compared to the stock market. But that's not what I'm competing against, right? Uh, this is all way off topic of Bramble Sovereign, which I do like as a card. Supply is very low, and $40 for foils seems like a lot, but it's a Mythic for Battle Bond with no reprints probably coming at all. So it could be a $70 or $80 foil because, you know, what the hell else are people going to do about it, right? Yep. All okay. right, so your next pick? Yeah, my other one. Uh, again, in the same vein as Grey Merchant is a little more well-known. Uh, our good buddy Deathrite Shaman, and long since banned in Modern, uh, reprinted as a rare in Eternal Masters, 
But looking good again, we are down to uh, 21 vendors on TCG Player. So supply is probably in the 30s-ish, uh, maybe 40s. You can grab these at 12 or 30, about $13 right now is the low on TCG. Uh, and then they, you know, they're four, you know, you'll get one or two copies at 13, then they're 14. And then they're up into uh, like 17 and 18 within, I don't know, two play sets. Um, and you can go back to the return the Ravnica copies and, you know, the math isn't much different. In fact, the lowest price over on the RTR copies is 17 and that hits $30 within like three play sets. So the ramp is real steep, obviously death rights, shamans, pedigree is well known um not legal and modern of course still see some playing legacy but very popular in edh is very good there he you know the the eating of the card in the graveyards is almost the point of the card and the benefit you get off of it is the the gravy um obviously he's going to show up in every cube uh so there's just a lot of demand for this card across the board supply is drying up i don't think we'll see another foil reprint anytime soon after ema um so just a good choice overall I don't. I don't think I even realized this was a commander card. For some reason, I just thought this card was just blanket banned everywhere, that <laughs> <laughs> it had already been reduced to a casual profile. I think. I think I just assumed it was obliterated off my radar when it was uh, banned in both modern and legacy. Oh, it was banned in legacy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that because I, I, I definitely just mentioned that it was good in legacy. But uh, yes, it was good in legacy when it was legal. Yeah. <laughs> extremely good in all formats and hence why it's banned but as you said in showing up in something like thirteen thousand edh rec decks and that number's got to be low right like if you're in these colors your deck probably is built incorrectly if you can't make use of these abilities yeah that card is pretty sick uh like i said the benefit isn't even the gaining to life or making people lose to life, it's the getting rid of an obnoxious card in an opponent's graveyard. And then the bonus you get from it is just just that well, bonus. And mana fixing at the, at, well, and mana fixing at the same time, pinging them for a few life here and there, gaining a couple life here and there, yeah. never being a, th- a big of enough threat on the table that they're going to kill it. Yeah, it's you know, just people, like... People aren't going to waste a good kill spell on your mana, on your mana elf unless yeah. their game plan completely relies on what you can do to the graveyard but at the same time like it's threatening like okay go ahead get cute with your dark depths like i have an answer like oh did your tabernacle fall into the graveyard before you found your life from the low guess what it's gone uh you know it's just very agitating to play against i'm sure yeah this is cool i had no idea uh this spec was not even remotely on my radar i'm gonna go buy a few so thank you you're welcome uh, you have uh, my PayPal address the, for my royalties. <laughs> yeah, it's not the first favor you've done me this week. <laughs> the um, So this next pick is a debatable one. Um, and it's one that's been hotly contested in the Pro Trader Discord all week. Um, hotly protested. La- after mm. last week's cast, we were talking about, are we supposed to just be buying $100 uh, foil borderless Okos? On the basis that it sees tons of play in Standard and is also seeing play in Modern. And I think people have even been experimenting with it in Legacy. Um, and it, I suspect that it you know, may find a modest home in Commander over time as well. Especially if food becomes evergreen at some point. Um, although I wouldn't hold your breath on that because I don't think people are pretty very pleased with how food is 
influencing either the limited or standard formats. So food could be declared a mistake. Um, nevertheless, Oko is a very powerful three-mana planeswalker, and if he's going to see a reasonable amount of modern play, it justifies why pro traders and other collectors and speculators went after those $100 copies when people were talking about them, and now it's, it looks like those copies are pushing into that $150 zone. Um, I tweeted last week that it's probably a $200 card, and I think it's headed there in relatively short order. I think they're going to be treated like a masterpiece Liliana or a Jace, and it's going to be 200 bucks. Um, so the question then becomes, are the non-foil borderless Okos a solid play in and around 45, say with a coupon or discount at a uh, vendor, you might get them for 40 to go to say 60 or 80. And would that be a worthwhile play? There's arguments in both directions, clearly. First of all, I think the art on the pack, uh, the regular card pack foil and non is superior. I don't know hmm. if you would agree. I, I I remember them being different, but I wasn't taken one way or the other. Okay. Um, one argument in favor of these borderless cards is that as opposed to a pack foil, the borderless cards are, you know, they're not foiled. So they're going to be much more attractive to spikes who want to bling out their deck, but they don't necessarily want their deck to be um, cause game losses. Um, by trying to mix foils and non-foils or taking on the expense of foiling out their entire deck. this Now, these extended art uh, or borderless cards give you the option, where appropriate, of upgrading your deck, A, for potentially less money, depending on which card you're talking about, and B, without worrying about that whole foiling thing. So that's attractive. Um, 45 is a pretty steep buy-in for a mythic uh, but. It's a $30 to $35 card in the market. So you're not paying a tremendous premium for the the borderless version. And we did figure out that the borderless versions are significantly more rare. Um, I put up a a big article uh, last weekend uh, that was called Throne of Eldraine, What the New Premium Products Mix Means for MTG Finance, where I broke down a whole bunch of different ratios in terms of the drop rates for the different treatments that appear both in regular Throne of Eldraine packs and the extended arts uh, and a couple of other cards that only show up in the collector boosters. And the bottom line was that um, borderless planeswalkers and showcase cards are not nearly as rare as the extended arts that only appear in the collector boosters, but they are still pretty rare. Um, it's not a one-for-one one ratio by any means, and that makes me feel like the non-foil borderless Okos could, from a combination of standard and modern pressure, get up to 80 within the year. I really like that these allow you to do something with your deck that's more than just foiling it. That was obviously a big complaint with Nexus of Fate. And, you know, Gavin Verhey made a point of saying it was his goal to make sure you could buy every magic card and non-foil. And this is how they did that. And we know that magic players like... (coughs) buying cool versions of cards for their decks uh, that's not limited to commander players and if you kind of are in doubt of that look at um, these guys who have competitive players who show up for instance to the drafts at their local store their money drafts or whatever and have a stack of like guru lands it used to be guru lands i think a lot of those got 
split up because people realize how much they were worth um or their own you know the special basic lands that they really like and they bring those to their drafts and they're a competitive player first but they still like the cool cards that look good uh and these borderless cards that are non-foil give them that avenue um and i'll be real curious to see how oko ends up doing um and i think this is a really good a really good litmus test for what the product is going to bring us oko is showing that he's good in standard he's obviously excellent in standard a pillar in standard uh seems quite playable in modern even dipped his toes into legacy a little bit might pop up in edh a little bit like he's he's about as good as you can reasonably ask a planeswalker to be so if we see these borderless copies hitting the market 40 45 dollars what is the what are they going to look like in six months um are they going to be you know 80 bucks and i think that there's a good chance that they are and if they are that means that there's a real demand for these non-foil essentially premium cards uh which we essentially haven't had before or have had in such little quantity and not necessarily with the right types of cards that we don't know uh so this 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 is a really good a really good example and i'm curious to see where this goes and i like what it could do for us because it could mean that these are great buy you know in future sets yeah and the key stat is that in as i said in war of the spark in japanese boxes of war of the spark it was a one-to-one chance to get uh, an altered planeswalker, but with the showcase and borderless planeswalker showcase cards and borderless planeswalker mythics, um, including Oko, it's a seven point five to one ratio. So you are significantly more likely to pull a regular non-foil Oko than you are to get this borderless one. Seven times is a lot. And leads me to believe that the market can drain that many copies. Yeah, I I, I would be surprised if it could. I'm in for a couple of the non-foil borderless or the the foil borderless copies. Um, and I was there were three left, and I was debating grabbing them, and then they disappeared. So somebody else was on the same page I was. And the lowest price on TCG on those is one thirty now, so we're already winning on that one. The, oh yeah, I made five dollars. See, the thing is that there's only thirty eight results. And yes, unlike the extended arts from the collector boosters, which are going to dry up much faster because their opening period is going to be much shorter, the in theory, for as long as people are drafting Throne of Eldrain, more borderless okas are going to be opened. So it could be true that in six weeks from now, we'll go from 38 results to 54 results on TCG Player. But if the number moves in the other direction, I would want to have my finger on the trigger. Yeah, because if if the market fails to replenish these very very rare mythics, set like I'm telling, imagine I said to you, okay, forget everything that happened in Throne of Eldraine. In this next standard set, of the fifteen rares, five of them are going to be seven times more rare than the other ten mythics. Mm-hmm. I had the like, part. I had to parse that sentence for a minute, but okay. Say a th- I just said something simple like a third of the mythic rares in this set are seven times less populous than the rest of the mythics. Well, it would be a no-brainer. We would go, well, are those, first, reality check, are those cards good? <laughs> if the answer is yes, we would probably focus on those above the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going to, you're even if they're, 
if they're seven times as rare, you're going to say, okay, even if they're half as good as the other mythics, there's so many fewer that they're still a better buy. Now, the one of the reasons that's not a perfect analogy is because in my version, it's the only way to get the card. In the Throne of Eldraine model, it's not the only way to get the card. So if Oka was a standard-only card, we would probably feel differently about it. And if it doesn't post up in Modern permanently, then it's less attractive. Currently, it sees the most play in Modern as a 3 or a 4 of out of the sideboard in Paradoxical Urza, which is probably the top deck in the format. So part of this depends on whether you think that deck is fantastic but not going to get banned or too good oppressive and likely to see a ban Mm. and and then and then whether you believe that the deck survives past that ban in in a reduced form and whether uh oko continues to see play play there and in other decks because there are more there's four or five different decks that have five owed with oko involved in modern but it's not clear that anything beyond the urza decks is likely to post up in tier one tier 1.5 i'm of the opinion that you don't have to worry about oko getting banned uh i don't think he's that good that you have to be really good for that to happen i'm not talking about oko getting banned especially not in modern i'm saying that urza's paradoxical urza which is where it sees the most play oh could get banned out of existence in which case oko's modern participation rate drops significantly and if you don't have the modern players stretching for this card, I don't think I don't think standard masterpieces is where you want to be. So if the card retreats to standard only, then I'm much less excited about the spec. So this is one of the only specs I've named this year that is more of a discussion point than a run out and buy it. I think that if you want them for yourself, you just probably want to wait for a, a good coupon. And if you miss, you miss. Um... As a spec, I liked the foils a lot more. And maybe I still like... If you can get 100 and talk somebody into selling you one for 120, I probably still like that more than the non-foils. 120 to 180 is pretty solid. Might be easier than the non-foils gaining 50%. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Mm-hmm. So, um, that's all we've got for specs. Let's pick a favorite. I think mine is... Hmm. Oscillating between both of yours. I think Deathrite Shaman. I think I like Deathrite Shaman the best. I'm on the Grey Merchant train, but that's only because there are so few. There are just so few. Actually, I changed my mind. I, if you're calling Grey Merchant 9 to 20 versus Deathrite 13 to 25, I think Grey Merchant 9 to 20 is most likely. It also has... 4,000 more decks over Deathrite on EDH Rack, even though I think that's probably wrong. Um, yeah, okay. Great merchant to this. I'm glad that you um, all right. feel strongly about it. Let's take a quick look at the modern leagues this week on Magic Online. See what kind of interesting stuff we can find. I'm just going to do a quick search through here looking for Okos. There are 17 results. <laughs> yeah, you figure that's pro- you know you can might be able to cut that by a third because of sideboards, but even still, that means even well, if it's it in sideboards, that means the deck is playing at least two copies. So let's just do a quick survey of the Oko decks, for instance. Uh, 
One of them Okoe. is Salty Spells. So this is the uh, Snapcaster Mage, Torrential Gear Hulk, 30 instants, Arkham's Astrolab, and then two Oko in the sideboard. Um, then you have the four Emery, four Urza, Worm of Invention, and all of the artifact, 26 artifact nonsense, and they're running two Oko main and none in the board. Why the hell is this card in Urza decks? What am I not getting? Uh, I guess that making food tokens is like making a mox? That can't be good enough. Well, you can you can make your astrolabs in a three threes on a plus one. Yeah, that also seems like it's not what the deck is trying to do. Hmm. But they do they really do drop a, a ton of early artifacts, right? Because they have everything from Thopter Foundries and Sword of the Make to Pithing Needles, Mox Opals and Ambers and Baubles. So eventually that stuff you, you got more mana than you need to do your loops. And this gives you an option because the other thing you can do is exchange one of those artifacts with somebody else's good thing. So you can swap your Astrolab for a Death Shadow. Well, with power three or less, that's not going to happen. It's not going to be Monocost, it's power. But yeah, I imagine it. it, Bad example on the creature you're grabbing, but fact remains, tons of creatures are three or less. It's got, this must aggravate the hell out of our more (laughs) spiky modern players that listen but I, it's it's got to sit somewhere between creating food tokens as artifacts that work with Urza is good, and at the same time, he's decent at frustrating your opponents by blanking their creatures by making them 3-3s three or stealing the good ones. The food uh, tokens are okay against burn, etc. Yeah, so just sort of like, he doesn't like combo anywhere, but he's decent at a bunch of rolls. Yeah, and, and gives you an alternate win condition if they leave it alone too long. Yeah. Sort of. Well, cause he can start, he can just start building an army. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have like a, a true ultimate to build to, but yeah, he can steal enough creatures that now you might be in trouble. So there's also the decks that are more like two Oko, one to fairy, a whole bunch of good stuff. Creatures like the soul herder decks, ice fang, quaddles, coiling oracles, deputy of detention, spell queller, etc. Three Oust, three Collected Company, four Force of Negation, a Batter Skull, Sword of Fire and Ice to go with the two Stormforge Mystic. So it's just kind of like a good stuff Bant deck. Um, then there's a another one that is Primeval Titan with two Oko in the main and none in the sideboard. Yeah, that's this like one... the one we talked about last week. <clears throat> it's like Planeswalker, Planeswalker combo essentially. Just that also ha- it's like Planeswalker deck that also has a Felidar combo, Guardian combo that also has uh, Primeval Titan fetching Field of the Dead, I guess. Yep. And then there's uh, a Vengevine deck that has three Oko in the sideboard. You get a Merfolk one. Hmm. Seems like a yeah, weird card then, for and Merfolk then, And too. then three Oko in main deck Merfolk. I mean... This is a lot of play <laughs> for a card that I don't think either of us would have pe- pegged for modern at all. No, no, I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't. Uh, I figured he was probably fine, but I wasn't blown away by him. But, you know, I'm happy to happy to learn. Here, here's a Jun build for Liliana, three Oko, three Renin six, and then a whole bunch of Jun cards. Mm hmm. Uh, for Arkham's Astrolab, all over the place. This card is uh, one of the ones people completely missed when they first looked at Modern Horizons. 
is showing up all over the place. Probably never catches a ban other than maybe in Popper because it's just a little too innocuous. Uh, but, that's hard I, to I, say. I, this I, I, I don't can think see in modern, going. I, I don't think in modern you can catch a ban for color fixing and shrinking deck size because that's just not the pain points of the format. They banned Gitaxian Probe. That was a little different. It's not exactly the and same, but I think that Arkham's Astrolab is pretty close to Gitaxian Probe because they did not ban that because it was you the information you got from your opponent's hand. They banned it because it was a free spell that gave you the kind of velocity. Um, it was just too good with a bunch of other strategies. And Arkham's Astrolab is a little bit more of an investment, but it gives you a lot more. And it's like there's a show- lot working. There's mm. a lot working to protect it, though. They're not going to be eager to ban other things from Modern Horizons. Well, the nice thing is that it's a common, right? Like you don't have to feel bad about banning commons. They're, they don't want to ban you Urza. To, you do. You do need to worry about banning multiple cards out of your set that you designed for a singular format. Well, I, yes, but when, I think that I think that that concern of theirs gets less so every year, and also they can be like. Wow, yeah, yeah. Our first attempt at making cards for modern, it turned out we did a little too good of a job, right? Like at least you know that they they managed to hit their target, which was impact modern. Yeah, there's just too many cards in front of the in in line in front of Astrolab. I I, I would put money on Astrolab not getting catching a ban in the next three years. Well, again, I'm not saying that it was going to happen next. I didn't say it was at the top of the list. Uh, I didn't give you a time frame. I'm just saying but, I but can see a future. I, I think that you, I can see a future where that card is banned. Now, if Mox Opal's still legal, okay, that that's probably going before Astrolab does, right? Like, I, it's hard to imagine them banning Astrolab and not Opal because what Astrolab decks aren't playing Opal? And but then again, they might go, well, we can ban the two hundred dollar Mox, or we can ban the ten cent common. Uh, let's ban the common (laughs) fortunately to injure Urza I don't think you have to do either I think you just go after paradoxical outcome well that's the first (laughs) place to start yeah and and then they'll see what happens yeah Um, and I suspect there's still an Urza deck after that is the thing because Urza was already a force to be reckoned with before people were on the outcome version yeah I mean the latest versions are outcome plus ascendancy and they've got four ascendancies and three outcomes so even if you banned outcome it still might just become an ascendancy deck or they dish the ascendancy and go back to the original version. Yeah, I'm still I, doing, which was stu- still doing well without those combos. Yeah, with Urza, I don't think you have to work very hard to find a deck that he's that's busted. There's also the Niv Mizzet decks still running Oko's here and there. Um, I like that we're seeing Oko kind of bring back a resurgence of these sort of mid, these weird mid rangey decks, um, Liliana. And Oko and Ren and Six is a nice combo. I get a lot of Ice Fangs with Okos here. I'm liking that. There's also a Teamer build that runs four Scred, uh, runs a copy of Royal Scions alongside three Oko. Wait, was Scred? I have to look Scred up again. I like. I know the general idea is it's no permanence. It is permanence. So like your Astrolabs count for Scred. (laughs) Yeah. That's something. You also and get, your you also ice, aren't your ice fangs too? Yeah. 
Wow. So that's that's essentially just like a one mana destroy target creature. That's pretty sweet. I mean, mm. making Scred better was the whole thing, right? That's why I bought foil Screds in April or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 And already sold through all of those, and now it looks like it's much more justified. This looks like Teamer looks better with both Royal Scions and Oko and Ice Fang Quaddle and Arkham's Astrolab piled on top of what was already there. Oh yeah, yeah. This is the first time that we've actually seen Teamer in modern in any meaningful capacity. The last time would have been uh, when they mer- when somebody shoved Tarmogoyf. Who was it? it? Was that French player who likes ponies? Shoved Tarmogoyf into the Deceiver Exarch decks, the twin decks. Uh, and I think he, if he didn't win the Pro Tour, he came very close. Patrick Dickman. Uh, but that was like the last time Teamer was he's, playable in modern, I think. He's German, but okay. Is he? The, uh, yeah, Dickman, definitely not a French name. The uh, Yeah, I, I feel better about Oko, seeing how many different uh, archetypes are attempting to run it. But... What modern is in this weird place where there's like the four or five or six decks that are clearly tier one. You got your blue white control, your Tron, your Urza, your uh, Jun, Burn, and <clears throat> then you've got 20 other decks that you could encounter at any given time. What do you think of the Royal Scions? That card, I came so close to buying them. Because it was like 70 bucks, I think, for the foil borderless copies. And I'm like, it's is it? It's three mana that comes down with five loyalty and then ticks up to six looting, which is exactly what you want to do. And then you just get to loot every turn. And at worst, like it just draws, like you can get to draw four cards and like kill something. And also, like if you play any creatures, like your monastery mentors, your delvers, or something, it makes it really strong. Ah, this card is, but you're not seeing a lot of play with it yet either. Do you, yeah, I wonder if this do, is a sleeper. Yeah. Do you think commander players are sleeping on this? That's hard to say. It seems like it's. They might be. They might be. The th- like you know this. It's it's so much harder to evaluate planeswalkers in a commander deck because it's so much harder to defend them. Well, like, it fails the first test, which is, can I cast it into a doubling season under Atraxa? Hmm. Whereas Oko passes that with flying colors. Wait, well, this does allow you to cast it. In Wait, Atraxa is not blue-red, right? Atraxa doesn't have red. Yeah, okay, so that's what you mean by fails the Atraxa test. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just biggest planeswalker of all time. You want your planeswalkers to lean into her deck. It's not, it's not even clear. I'm not even sure. I'm going to test Oko, but I'm not even sure Oko makes that deck because it's just you have so many good options at this point. They're $55. There's so many, there's, so many there's just so many Planeswalkers that win the game when you double their loyalty counters. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. $55 for foil borderless Scions. <clears throat> How many listings? That's what I'm responding to. Uh, well, so I was looking at uh, Channel Fireball because that's where I have the credit. 
You and your obsession with your credit at Channel Fireball. I have like $1,200 in credit over there, so I'm trying to that, do that something. That was a big buy list you dumped on them. Why did Why did that go to them? That's a good, a good question. Uh, because they, they were had, willing to... They had to awesome t- prices at the time? They were willing to take like, oh God, I think it was like 85 copies of Mizzix's Mastery. And I bought them in okay. Europe. At, oh, I bought them in Europe at like a dollar a piece, and I think I buy listed them for like eight dollars each, and it was like seventy or eighty yeah. copies or something. Uh, okay, I'm with you. So yeah, I mean, you're you're so far up. Why don't you just get whatever over at Channel Fireball? Well, I have been. Like, I bought I bought Okos, I bought some odds and ends, but now, but you know, what, at the moment what, we're what's like, what's their in, price on Modern Her- <clears throat> What's their price on Modern Horizons boxes right now? I've got a lot of those. I like to diversify. <laughs> I'm not sure we need to diversify on the, uh, the the $180 boxes that are obviously going to 300 ones throughout a print. They're at 215. Hmm. I mean that is a little high. You're paying like you can get them 170 169 today at drop.com. Right, right. So even if that's a good, you know, even if they were 180 on Channel Fireball, it's still, you know, again, how how what have I got two cases or something like that? Like it's just I don't need to get I like to diversify. Let's. I like to diversify. But we're we're at like right, 55, so 55 mm-hmm. copies of Royal Scion Foil Borderless on TCG I, I right it. now. I, I, I'm not seeing the play pattern that supports it yet. I, I don't see the play pattern either. I'm just kind of like, ah, is this getting slept on? Like, is this good? Are people going to go? Oh, this actually is good. Like, maybe Oko is drawing all the attention right now, and the Royal Scions will come up from behind. I guess that means this isn't a buy yet. You just kind of keep an eye out and see if it starts getting played. But I do wonder because that is a uh, fifty-five bucks, fifty bucks for these is real tempting, given how rare we talked about them being. I want to say Royal Scions has seen some legacy play. Yes, it has. Uh, it's got at least one 5-0 list registered where it was <coughs> two Narset Parter of the Veils, three Royal Scions, a whole bunch of blue and red spells. <coughs> Sorry, it's Jeskai. Four Dreadhard Arcanist, one Snapcaster Mage, one Monastery Mentor. Yeah, I mean, you assume someone's going to play it somewhere. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's, it's a legacy power card that speaks in its favor. But I'm just worried this one is going to be a onesie, twosie, heresy, theresie, and legacy doesn't move the needle enough. Well, and that's yeah. You'll see it. You'll see it now and again all over the place, but it just won't have the profile of an Oko. Yeah, and I agree. And that's sort of what the <laughs> like. May, you know, maybe the the price looks so good, but if it's only ever going to one and two here and there, maybe it's just not good enough. But then again, we talked about how damn rare these were, and like if this is the peak supply for all this. You know, maybe it can still be ninety bucks but, even just with those but, incidental play. Yeah, 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 but hold on, hold on. Keep keep in mind though, the planeswalkers aren't part of the this is peak supply set. Because True. they're in the regular boosters. True. So if you if they if these were only in collector boosters, then yes. Yes, yes, yes. For sure. But because it's just an Eldraine generally, even though they are ultra rare, the the the, the foils are actually less rare comparatively than the non foils. That's part of the Yoko play. Because the foil borderless Oko is 2.5 times pack foil Oko. But on the non-foil side of things, it's 7.5 times. It's a different ratio. Mm-hmm. No one is going to know and everyone that knows will forget soon enough. But it, it, that ratio matters. Because the, the mythics that if, 
Okosh stays in modern for a long time and, you know, makes it into the top 100 spells in the format, then those borderless ones will probably get there just because the demand profile will outstrip the ability of the collector boosters to supply to, I mean, the um, 7.5 ratio to provide enough supply. But I like my first picks are always going to be the, the stuff that they limit to a much smaller set with a much li- more limited release pattern. Uh, yeah, yeah, I In don't fact, disagree with that. <clears throat> I mean, for instance, I'm already looking to pre-order the collector boosters for Throne of El- for uh, Theros. Like, I, I want to get that deal done in the next two weeks and get people to put the money down on December 1st. Like, this stuff's just moving so fast. <laughs> because they, they announced that the Theros drop date is, like, it's not even the very end of the month. It's, like, the third week of January or something. Uh, for, the, for the Theros set. For the set. So we're going to get pre-release season will start right after New Year's. And we know that December is basically an MTG Finance dead zone because everybody's selling to buy presents. Mm-hmm. Deals abound. And then January is often a dead dead zone because um, people are paying off their credit card bills for Christmas. And then you get into tax season and things get real sexy again. Yeah, February, I think, is where things start to move historically. So, so, so it's possible that you're going to get some Black Friday deals or some Christmas people are desperate deals. And those Royal Scions will get cheaper later. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's probably correct. It's, it's, it wasn't that I, I think I need to buy them right now, but I'm curious. Mm-hmm. They're, they're tempting. They're tempting me. I'm, I'm, they're on my radar. All right. So let's switch over to our discussion of the week, which ties into all this, which is um, what if we are witnessing the slow death of pack foils as a spec and to be specific i'm not talking about all foils i'm talking about regular standard booster pack foils <coughs> and as we've you know there, this is wrapping up a whole bunch of subtopics that we've talked about over the last six weeks or so i'm trying to put a bow on it <laughs> part of our lesson plan <laughs> yeah the i, I Starting in core 2020, pack foils are 50% more common. Now, there are some quirks because so long as they have collector boosters, they are going to siphon some of the foils from the foil print run off into the collector boosters. So, for instance, foil commons and foil uncommons in regular booster packs of Throne of Eldraine, I think I said this last week, um, are about the same commonality. They're not actually... It doesn't matter what the set symbol, the the color of the set symbol is. They, they are about the same. <laughs> and the reason for that is six out of the nine common uncommon foil slots in the collector boosters are filled out with common foils. So they needed to steal a bunch of common foils from their print run to fill those slots out. Mm-hmm. So there are some weird quirks that everybody has to kind of pay attention to and work around. And there's the 2.5 versus the 7.5 ratios that we were talking about earlier um, for the for the borderless and showcase cards. So that definitely needs to be uh, kept in mind. Because I actually felt that in the sh- with the showcase cards from Eldraine that relatively few of them were multi-format playable. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree with you, I think. Like, Fae of Wishes might get there with Fires of Invention and Modern, maybe, but probably not. Murderous Rider might, is a one-of in Jund. 
and we'll probably see some amount of solid commander play. But next time, showcase cards could include a, you know, the once upon a time card or the Emery level card could be a showcase card. In which case, I'm very interested <laughs> in the showcase foils and non-foils based on those ratios. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's going to be a lot more tempting. But pack foils, I think, have a very good chance here of getting left in the dust. And the reason for that is, A, the foil drop rate's much higher. And we've seen that the foil multiplier is was always injured in the master sets where you got a foil per pack. And the foil multiplier was not injured in Modern Horizons, where it had both the old foil drop rate and did not have a foil per pack. So we know we know kind of how that triangulates. When they go up to this level of dropping foils, the, the multiplier is going to drop naturally. And now you add on top of that, not only are foils more more populous, at, you know, in Core Set 2020, that was a problem, but it wasn't also compounded by this new factor, which is that they're giving you showcase cards and showcase foils borderless planeswalkers and foil versions of those and then they're giving you extended art versions over in the collector packs so in in you can make the argument that there are at least three alternative treatments that you might want for your foil rares for instance if that's the kind of thing you would normally spec on say trying to pick out edh foils at their peak supply point and sit on them for 12 to 18 months and that's your bread and butter there's a significant challenge in play to whether or not you're doing that right anymore because of the lower foil multiplier and because the competitive players may lean towards using either showcase art non-foil or in the case of non-showcase cards extended art non-foil because they get to make their decks look sexier but don't need to worry about foiling um, being a problem with the curvature of their deck and then over on the commander side of things or the collector side of things (coughs) people are going to be much more likely to go after the most expensive versions. So foil extended art Great Henge was a much more obvious spec than pack foil Great Henge. Yes. Sorry, I wasn't sure if you were done. Uh, I, I mean, do you do, do you have any plans to buy pack foils from Throne of Eldraine? Is there anything? No. No, like there isn't. Emery? Like, are you going after Once Upon a Time pack foils or Emery pack foils? I mean, pack foils are off my radar at this point. And this is what I was going to say is with the collector's boosters giving us so many. You have the you have the showcase cards, uh, which in this case, I, I, I have to admit, I, I I really like. I really like the look of them. They're, they, they're very, very clunky if you have to read the card. But I think just kind of at arm's length, they're very pretty. Um, I like those. So if I'm buying any of those for EDH, which I, I'm probably not because most of them aren't very good, but if I were, I would like them quite a bit. Uh, those are appealing. I think that the extended arts are appealing financially. Um, you know, the ultra chase cards, um, uh, you know, essentially the collector's boosters are giving us so many options that the pack foils are not, they don't do anything for us anymore, right? Like, well, who's your market for that at this point? It's not competitive players. It's not people who want the coolest or the rarest version because there's other choices for that. And you've increased, you know, you went doubled the amount of them that show up. So it's just now that's not going to be where to go anymore. Um, and we're going to have to, you know, I can see three years from now being like, well, you know, I like gray merchant foils, 
But remember, that was from Theros, which is pre-Clockers boosters. Uh, but I don't like this foil because this was after they introduced Collector's Booster. So now we saw a much higher foil drop rate and there are other, every, you know, there are four versions of this card and this isn't the cool one. Uh, so no, I'm not interested in packed foils and it, I don't, I don't know if you were, but uh, it does seem like the market for those has evaporated. So I ran a, a survey October 6th that got 352 votes on Twitter. And the question was, which is more true about your Magic the Gathering foil singles buying behavior at present? Do you buy more than I used to, about the same, buy less than I used to, or looking for results? Buy more than I used to and about the same were 22 and 26% respectively, so 48% total. And 39% said buy less than I used to. You got to Remember, the results was 13%, so you got to factor that in. So more people still said buy more than I used to and about the same than people that said buy less than I used to. But you have to wonder if those, those numbers are going to shift over time if the product mix remains the same. Because those people are answering from a mindset that might be at the bleeding edge of heading towards extinction. It could be that, you know, if you're a Magic player that starts playing this fall in Throne of Eldraine, you might end up just focusing on getting extended arts for your modern deck when you eventually get into it. If there's enough cards by that point, because they carry on with this. And I think for at least this year they are. Like, I very much expect the next two sets to do the same rigmarole where we get a very similar product mix. Maybe with some tweaks in the third set based on the kind of feedback they got here because they're probably far enough out from press that they might not have already printed those yet. But it, it, it leads me to wonder like whether, whether people are going to get to the point where six, seven sets down the road, especially if modern gets supplanted to some great degree by historic or some version of historic, and the card pool shrinks to a size where more of your deck could be extended art, then it starts to, I think, really put pressure on pack foils. And with this current drop rate, they're just not going to feel special. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and so I think I actually think the higher drop rate is a mistake. Um, what I would do... You're, you're really lumping it on. Like, it just well, seems like so much. Well, here's the thing. I think that foils, the kind of person that is excited to get a foil in a pack probably is excited whether it's a common or a mythic as long as the common's a good common like a bad card in foil is still just a bad card a, bad, a trash foil but I, I think they, they could get away with having a sliding scale on these where foil rares were maybe 25% more common instead of 50% and then take it up to a full 50 on the commons mm -hmm. there's probably some tweaking to be done there so that Foils at higher rarities still feel rare enough that people will see. Because if if you have a bunch of inventory over a long period of time that is just stagnant, doesn't move, the vendors don't want to buy it, then you can you can actually end up in a situation where pack foils are not on buy lists for the most part, <laughs> and no one can ever unload them. And foiling out decks gets really cheap, but you can never get out of that deck later. And uh, Ben from Star City Games, who basically runs their whole operation there um, on the sales side, 
um, was t- has t- mentioned a couple times on Twitter in the last week about how he, he has an awesome article to write about foils from a sales perspective. And I suspect that it will be a variant on themes we've heard echoed by DJ and all sorts of people over time, which is that they don't like foils because from a vendor perspective on the floor, they take up more real estate than is justified by how quickly they flip. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this is also part of the whole... I don't want fetch lands to be a hundred dollars argument. I want them to be 20 cause I'll move way more of them. Yes. Like business, business versions of MTG finance that focus on turnover want stuff to be in the disposable income supported impulse purchase range because the, it will, it gets them through their cycle faster. They don't want to sit on a hundred dollar foil. That's going to get to 203 years. They want to buy 600 Emery at, five and flipping them in japan for eight and then move on to the next thing so i'm very very curious to see where this ends up and i think a lot of it has to do with how many alternatives to pack foils they keep in rotation I, i my opinion is they should slim the offering down it needs to be easier to parse Stuff needs to feel special without competing, cannibalizing each other. So I think like distinctive price points are a good thing. A version of a card you can get for $5 or $25 or $100 makes sense to me. But that, to me, cuts the pack foils out of the mix. Because it's like normal Emery is 5 extended art Emery is 25 and extended art foil Emery is 100 I believe that those price points exist and that their rarity ratios make sense in in uh, sync with how much the market shrinks at each price point. But I I don't know where pack $14 pack foil Emery comes in in this model. And, I, you know, it does seem like it doesn't, right? Like, like, I just, who is that card for at this point? Because anyone who cares enough to buy a, a foil, who cares enough to want the cool version, is going to spring for something slightly better. Like they're either going to pay the seven bucks for the non-foil or they're going to pay a little bit more for the coolest version rather than paying for the pack foil. I, I just I, I, I agree that it just feels like they've muddied the waters like in three different ways at one time with that product uh and now it's sort of a it's a it's a card treatment without a home essentially um and and you know it's it'd be one thing if they didn't increase the drop rate because then there could still be a subset of players who want them uh but they'd be rare enough that there would still be you know, the price for them would be reasonable, but doing both at the same time is just taking all the wind out of their sails, essentially. Currently, Emery Lurker of the Lock pack foil is less than $10 on TCG. Pack pack foil Emery's are less than $10. If that card was, did not have all this other shenanigans, like card treatment shenanigans hanging over its head, I would be so deep on it right now. I would yeah. probably own 30 or 40 copies at 10 bucks. How much are the pack non-foils? They were Just a... 25, I believe, last I checked. Wait a minute. Just sorry, d- sorry, pack, d- sorry pack non-foils? Yes. I thought, I thought you were asking about extended art. 
Yeah, yeah. pack non-foil is five, so it's got a, a two-to-one multiplier currently. Okay, five and ten. But the extended arts are twenty, and the yeah. extended art foils are one hundred and ten, <laughs> heading up, heading up pretty quickly to towards one thirty, one fifty. And there are sixty-four listings for the extended art non-foil versus two hundred and seventeen. Hold on a second, that's not true. TCG's got that lag. One hundred and twenty-seven for the pack foil. 127 vendors. 127 listings. Yeah. On TCG for the pack foil versus 127. So basically it suggests the pack foils are twice uh less rare or less popular than the extended arts. Yeah. I mean big surprise. And, and there. a little and a little a little of both is true. Yeah. I just I, I don't know. It's, I, it's really fun. It's really funny, but I I think I like the extended art Emery's around twenty to twenty two much better than I like pack foils at ten. Yeah, because you can sell the extended arts to people who play competitively. Just spikes. Yeah, and who care about the the foil component, but like the people who care who want the foil component don't want that. They're gonna go. I mean, I mean, I guess the extended art foil Emery is a hundred and thirty. So. I will so tell you that if I want at foil Emery, I'm not paying $130. I will pay the 10 bucks. Uh, but for, com- for, for commander, you actually get, especially if you're double sleeving, foiling is mu- so muted in that situa- situation anyway, then you may, you may as well go for extended art. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's possible too, is like I, my initial reaction would be, I'll get the pack foils, but maybe you do get the extended art. I might pick and choose based on how well the art extended, because on some of the extended arts, it looks very good. And on others, it looks like crap. Like on the Emory extended looks, art just em- doesn't do anything. Yeah. On Emory, it looks great. By the way, did you look at the Jace the Mind Sculptor? God, what freaking version of the card is this? That extended art Jace from... Whatever product Myth- that was, I don't even remember. Mythic edition. Well, yeah, where the it's an extended, like it's a borderless version, but like he's standing next to a building on the left side of the frame, so it's got this really weird. It's where the spark mythic edition. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? There's like a paper blowing up against the side of it. There, I just pasted it in the spreadsheet. Yeah, he's he, he's coming in a he's coming in a window or something, right? It looks so bad. <laughs> Because of that wall on the left side, that is borderless art done really, really poorly. Like you feel like you're supposed to shift your like your mouse to the left to like square it up. Yeah, it feels like okay. I thought that was supposed to be borderless. Did they accidentally print a border on one side? Because he's like he's standing next to this dark wall that just looks like like all the rest of the card is so blue, and then you just have this like one streak of brown that just like is such a hard line. You're like, is this a misprint? Because it's not enough of a wall to tell that there's some that like it's part of the artwork. You don't notice that easily. Interesting. But that that's Jace neither here nor hold- there. Interesting that that Jace is holding two twenty five. By the way, with the hype cycle moved well past. I wonder if that's people just he- being unwilling to sell it. Well, I think he was high as high as three hundred. So he's definitely like there are people undercutting to try to ditch. Because people have moved on. But <laughs> this is Masterpiece Jace the Mind Sculptor. And there's 31 results. And it came out less than six months ago. In two years, there aren't going to be any of this, these left under three. This is Mythic Edition 3, right? Yep. It's a, it's a Masterpiece Jace the Mind Sculptor. 
Yeah. And they're not they're not going to give us another one for years. So well, probably. <clears throat> I probably very very unlikely. Um yeah, okay. so pack foils look bad. I mean, it look <laughs> the the short version is, is they just seem to be a card without a market now and also there's a lot more than there used to be. Yeah, and I think it it, it really does hinge on product mix design. Core 2020 foils less problematic than thrown so let's see what happens <coughs> with the next few sets but i'm i'm staying well away from most pack foils for now yeah same same all right uh obe pro trader member sitting in the pro trader discord tonight you have won a 25 dollars gift certificate from cool stuff inc congratulations we'll be in touch to hook you up it's pretty nice uh, where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I write for MTG Price every Monday. I'm doing the Watchtower series. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com, including the one I massive stats monster I posted last weekend, Throne of Eldraine, what the new premium product mix means for MTG Finance. So check that out and get up to speed on the ratios. Also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG Finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. And I assure you it will, and there's a money-back guarantee to back that claim. Yeah, that's uh, it's generous of you. It's a, it's, it costs us nothing, because no one ever quits. True. Or uh, we're like a fun cult. Yeah. Uh, once again, MTG Finance is proudly fast finance, not just finance, fast finance, <laughs> as in contrast to the slow finance you catch elsewhere, is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. And, you know, I will. I can even make a personal plug. I have bought board game stuff from them before. Um, it was a Terraforming Mars expansion, which for all of you who enjoy board games but haven't dipped your toes in that, I highly recommend it. Just this past week, I had two people who had never played before gave it a shot and both came away singing its praises. So if that's your speed, uh, it's a good one to check out. But nice. brings us to the end of episode 190. 190. Closing, close, closing in on 200, brother. Yeah. And what is it? It'll be 208. We'll mark the end of the fourth year. Uh wow. Yeah, which is still actually like uh, 18 weeks away, right? That's it's a ways to go. But, but we get to celebrate our 200th. We'll probably do something special for the 200th too. Uh, that's up, double, double uh, up on the celebrations because 200 <laughs> will be pretty close to the end of the year. Uh, what is that? 200 would be 10 weeks, so that's two and a half months. Uh, yeah, that's like almost exactly the end of the year. Yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll do the end of year wrap up. We'll probably do a giveaway. Probably give away some memberships and shit too. You're really putting us on the spot to come up with something clever in the span of 10 weeks. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Listen, I've got these like 16 Throne of Eldraine collector's boosters that are James's that are on my desk. So why don't we just give all those to somebody? 
Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MPG Fast Finance. <laughs>